Hi, Pastor Rob here from Blessed Hope Chapel and RobCartlidgeMinistries.com. What you hold is true. Is it really truth? Will what you believe get you through on Judgment Day? Are you keeping to the pattern of sound teaching held out in Scripture? In this series, Truth, Judgment and Eternity, I intend to deliver messages that check the solidness of our Christian foundation so as to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us as Christ's ambassadors on this earth. Twenty-seven to 28. It says this, At that time they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. It's telling us to lift, stand up, lift up our heads because our redemption is drawing near. And the, the list of events that are taking place... Uh, listed in Luke 21 prior to that time, all list the very things that are taking place in the world today. And it also, he makes very well clear that that things will go from bad to worse. And, uh, and he used the description of birth pains where the contractions will shorten. In, before the birth of a child, contractions shorten to a point where the, the mother will feel a contraction every few seconds. And uh, now when you look through the list of Luke 21, you'll find that earthquakes are mentioned. And we know that from the beginning of the 20th century to the present day, um, we have seen uh, earthquakes increasing in intensity and increasing in, in consistency. Like there's, they're coming more and more regularly. And uh, we're um, seeing wars and the wars are increasing. We've had the two biggest wars in history, in, in, as in World War I and World War II. And there have been numerous wars and they're getting worse and worse and worse. And if you go through that list and look at all the signs that Jesus says that will take place before he returns, he says these are the beginning times. And then we look at this scripture, it says, At that time they'll see the Son of Man coming with, uh, in a cloud with power and great glory when these things begin to take place. So it doesn't say when these things have taken place. It says when they begin, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. We've got to stand up and realize that Jesus is coming. He's coming and he's coming soon. Now, whether that soon means, as it has meant when, when we said Jesus is coming soon back in the first century, it was, we knew at least 2,000 years of transgressed, oh, oh, transpired, I should say not transgressed. They have transgressed too, <laughs> but they've transpired since that time. Um, but uh, we're, we're seeing the signs in the 20th century as being greater than all the other centuries combined, meaning... It's intensifying. It's intensifying. Now, one of the things that uh, especially the young here won't recognise is the level of sinfulness in, in the world that we, in which we live. Um, back in the 50s, people were uh, relatively, you know, morally decent. In comparison to today's person, average person, if, if a f- person from the 50s came transported here, they would be like considered a goody two-shoes. And they might have been quite a rebellious type of person back in the 50s. Right now, we don't see that. We just think, oh, yeah, that's old-fashioned and, and all that sort of thing. No, for thousands of years, you know, I'm not saying in every case because we know of the 
terrible things and terrible atrocities and, and sinful practices of the Roman Empire and, and other empires that have been, right? There's been a lot of terrible things that have taken place. But on a morally, uh, like as in across the board, for thousands of years, most people held a level of moral decency far beyond what the average person does today. And we're getting, you know, this uh, regular hit of, you know, uh, stuff on the TV and in the movies that we watch and the music that we listen to and everything that takes place around us is regularly desensitizing us to this. And that we're, we're just thinking it's normal to carry on in that way. You know, Hollywood will tell you that, you know, to be, you know, crudely sinful is normal now. Do you know what I'm saying? So that, to me, is a sign that we're living closer to the end than ever, you know, when, when these sort of things take place. Does that make sense? All right, so that's, that's the essence of this uh, sermon series, which is now part three, and this should be the very last one. That's my hope, because it was meant to be one sermon that's become three. So this is the last message on Urgent Times for now. I've dwelled longer than normal on this message as it is a message that I must make very clear to all of us. We need to wake up to the desperate need we have to live highly alert lives. Most Christians today are not alert. Most Christians today are asleep. You're right. They they don't see what's happening. As I said in the the past sermons, that uh, the doomsday prophets of today aren't the Christians anymore. The doomsday prophets are the environmentalists. The doomsday prophets are the economists. The doomsday prophets are the movie makers. The Gnostic teachers, you know, in the, in the movie makers. The doomsday prophets are the singer-songwriters today. The Christians have gone into their shell and have fallen asleep. Have fallen asleep. They can't see it. They can't see it. They don't even realise, you know, that Jesus is that close to coming. They've actually got this prosperity thing going on that they just think that they got forever. And let's invest. Let's make heaps of money. You know what I mean? Let's live this life of luxury on the earth while we can. Um, and they're trying to live the best, as, as uh, Joel Osteen would say, the best life now. You know, that Jesus died, this is Joel Osteen's catchphrase, Jesus died to give you an abundant life now. I'd like to see that in Scripture, Joel, because it's not there in Scripture. He is a false prophet of the last days, and it says that many will will be drawn to these false prophets because they'll be wanting to hear this itching ear preaching, stuff that sounds good to them, in an environment that's supposedly religious. But... But they're not. So Christians have willingly fallen off to sleep. They've fallen into a deep sleep. They can't even keep their eyes open in church most of the time. Unless the, the band is playing this, you know, high, full-on musical. They're jumping around on stage, screaming at the top of their lungs, putting on a show. The average person doesn't want to go to church because it's too boring. Because they turn their ear against sound doctrine. They don't want to hear it. Sound doctrine lulls them off to sleep. The truth lulls them off to sleep. I tell you what, you know, in relation to falling off to sleep, I'll tell you what what God says about that. You know, or you think of it from this perspective. If you go to work and you're getting paid and you fall off to sleep, what would happen to you? You won't get paid much longer. We wouldn't get paid much longer. You'd be fired. Right? 
But if you come and into God's presence and fall off asleep, what happens? At this moment in life, nothing. But it'll be held, you'll be held an account to it. You'll be held an account. And I'm not talking about physical sleep here. I'm talking about spiritually. Jesus wants his church to wake up. And if it's happening physically, <laughs> that too, that's even worse. Because there you're not only spiritually asleep, but you're physically asleep and no chance. You're just hoping it's going to enter in subconsciously. <laughs> you know. But no, we've got to, you know, treat God with more respect than your boss. Seriously. Seriously. So I'm always amazed in church circles. I'm always amazed at how, you know, if work calls you or whatever, that's it. Bang. They're there. Money, pull. They're on it. I get paid. Yep, I'm there. What time? 8 o'clock. I'll be there at. 7.30, you know, there, church, I'll get there when I want. Take my time. And it's that attitude towards God that God says the love of mammon, because the love of money is the root of all evil. If you love that money that much that you would honour it far greater and at a higher level than you're loving God, then, man, you've got to question your motives. Are you truly a Christian? Do you even believe this book anymore? Does this book even mean anything to us? And I, I have to say, I think this book means pretty well nothing to most Christians because they might claim it does, but then in real life it's, it's another story altogether. They don't act on it. They don't live by it. Uh, they take what they like out of it and they ignore the stuff that doesn't agree with their paradigm or the way they live. Well, that's it. Most Christians don't, don't read it much. Yet they hold to Christianity as, as their belief system. But, you know, the only reason this should be known is because without knowing it, you're just going through life blindly. So you, you can't ascertain the, what is the right thing to do here. Well, you don't know the word, so you can't have God's idea on the whole thing. You can't know God's will, which way to go here. So if you don't know God's will, you can't make informed decisions. And it's not, it shouldn't be that every time you have to make an informed decision, you have to ring your pastor to find out what the Bible says. You know what I mean? It should be in you. The times in which we live all point to the soon return of the Lord. And my question is, are we ready? Are we ready? Do you know what? Would I be a, a really bad Christian teacher or a, a pastor or whatever if I didn't tell you this stuff? If I wasn't here saying, Jesus is returning, let's lift up our game, let's lift our game because he's coming and we want to be shining when he gets here, would I be a bad Christian leader? I would be. I would be considered a worthless minister of the gospel because I'm not teaching the people what they need to hear because I'm too afraid that I could offend them. And that's why you don't hear what I'm preaching now in megachurches. Because if someone came into a megachurch and preached what I preach right now, they'd be thrown out. I'd be thrown out. I wouldn't be welcome. Because it's too much conviction. Makes people feel uncomfortable, unsettled. It gets in their face. Do you know what I mean? But the truth of the matter is Jesus is going to return and Jesus is going to be in your face at a far greater level than me. And my, I just want to be able to say to Jesus, well, Lord, I told him. <laughs> now it's... 
you know, do with them as you will. But I at least told them. I didn't want to, you know. And I tried to live by what I preached as best I could. I'm not perfect. Anyone here perfect? No. My hand nearly went up. There's none of us here are perfect. We all have our failings. We all have the things we're struggling with, right? But if you're struggling with it, and that's a good thing, when you're struggling with uh, something in your life, that's a good thing because it means that you're trying to, by the power of God, trying to overcome it, trying to get above it. You know what I mean? So we've got to struggle with these things. And I struggle with these things. And I struggle with the fact that God gives me so much to preach on, which is the truth, and then I've also got to, I don't want to be a hypocrite and not live out what I preach. So I'm trying to live out what I preach as well. And that's, I struggle, you know, like anybody would. That's why teachers are going to be held to a higher account than non-teachers. That's scary. Teachers of the gospel, not, not school teachers. Well, they'll be held to account in a different way. But, <laughs> but the teachers of the gospel. So I'm going to be held to account, guys. So encourage me to teach this stuff and get behind me on it because I need to, I need to get it out. All right, now, this message is to call the church to attention and to raise the standard of faith and holiness in preparation for his coming. We've got to raise our standard. Who feels that their standard could be raised here? Yeah, we've got to raise our standard. Who feels that you're living in a, a level of holiness that God would be you know, blessed by? Who feels they're walking as a Christian in a way that God would be like pleased with? So if God showed up today, how do you reckon you'd fare? If Jesus returned today, how do you reckon you'd fare standing before him? Yeah, we'd be confident in our salvation. What about apart from that? Apart from salvation, you know you're saved, right? You won't lose your salvation. Don't let me uh, lead you to think that. If you believe and hold to faith in Christ. But what about in other areas? If Jesus returned today, and I, I, I will say now he won't, and the reason is is because there's certain things that must take place to, uh, in the world that haven't taken place. Prophecy must be fulfilled before he can return, and there's certain prophecies that haven't happened. right? So we can be assured of that, and that's a good thing. But what about if he died today? Would Jesus show up to you today? Right, now that can happen, can't it? Our rapture could occur today through death. You know, that's the only pre-tribulation rapture I believe in, death. Rapture to be with God. Everyone dies. So if we died today and you've appeared before the judgment seat of Christ today, if, but that's not when the judgment's going to take place and there's another thing I just threw in there that's not scriptural. But just say you, you died and then you're held and, and you wait and the time of judgment comes, how do you think you would fare according to how you've lived? Now, in saying this, I'm saying this out of the Holy Spirit's leading, but you have to be able to judge yourself. Paul says, uh, well, Paul actually said, I didn't even judge myself, but well, that's, another, that's another story. We won't go there. But we've got to know, okay, now, um, by the Holy Spirit, because if the Holy Spirit is in you, which the Holy Spirit is in all of you, because you cannot even say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, if the Holy Spirit is in you, he will also bring you to account in yourself. You will know, oh, I'm short here, I'm short here, I need to do this, I need to do that. There's a whole range of things that God should be bringing to attention. Now, you know what we can do? If I don't get your attention by talking like this, you know what we can do as humans? 
we can shut that whole area of our life out all week. And if you don't go to church regularly, as regularly as you don't go to church, and if you go to church and when you do go to church you don't hear your minister preaching like this, it might be years before you even consider these concepts that I'm telling you right now. could be years before you start to think, if God showed up today, as in I died, how would I fare? You're assured of salvation if you've not turned your back on God. You're assured of salvation. But after that, have I been living the life that God's called me to? Or have I been living the life the world's called me to? And just in that one area, there's a scripture ahead. I'm just going to... Okay. 1 John 2:15 uh, to 19. And it says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. Now, when I read that, I ask myself straight, do I love the world? Who loves the world here? Come on, be honest. Come on, be honest. Who loves the world here? Who loves getting up in the morning and going out and getting into the things the world offers? Okay, it's honest. Honestly, I know that just about everyone here loves the world. Who loves checking out their messages on their iPhone? Who likes getting on the computer and searching out stuff? Yeah? Right? We've got to be honest when it comes to this. We can't say this, that, that we're living according to this. The true men of God of the past didn't have any love for the world. Their only desire was for God. Now, people might say, well, that's been a bit radical. You're trying to become, you know, like, uh, you know highly religious here and, and trying to tell us to give up everything of the world. No, I'm not saying give it up. But we've got to keep things in perspective. If anything in your life is held more dear to you than God, then there's a problem. There's a problem according to Scripture. Now, look, if you want to keep going in that way, that's fine. But I can't preach that it's the right thing to do. You know. Now, when I say this, am I saying it to just you or am I saying it to me as well? Because I never want you to think, oh, you're just preaching us, giving us guilt trips, but you yourself... You know, you just think you're perfect or something. No, I know. I'm, I'm preaching to me first. I know there's the love of the world in me, especially in this Western world in which we live because there's so many things to love, to do. Do you know what I mean? We've got more. Like if I was living in certain parts of Africa and had nothing except a tin shed to sleep in at night, you know, and I just had a plastic container just to get food in and, and that's all I had, there wouldn't be much love of the world in me. But we have uh, so much, and that's why it's hard for a rich man. It's hard for a camel. It's, it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of the needle than for a rich man to get into heaven because the love of the world is so strong in a rich man. And we, in comparison to most people around the world, are far richer. Are far richer. We would be considered highly rich. Even, you know, the, um, there's the story of uh, Lazarus and the king. And the king had, he was great and splendorous and all that. You know, we live better than he would have lived. We have a better lifestyle than that king would have had back in the first century. You know, that's how much of the love of the world. But the Bible says this, he says in 1 John 2, 15, 19, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. How do you read that? It's where we should put our focus. 
things that we love, we should love the things that are going to be gone in whoever knows how many years. Mm, exactly. Exactly. It's not going to be in heaven or the... If we love the world, the things in this world, if we love this world, the love of the Father is not in us. That there is why Western Christianity is the most weakest Christianity in the world. That's why our Christianity is so weak. I'm telling you, I'm a weak Christian. I'll confess it straight up. I'm a weak Christian and I'm far more on fire Christian than most Christians in Adelaide. Yet, I'm a weak Christian. Right, the Christians I know that I could say, yes, these are strong Christians, in my opinion, according to how we're living here, are weak in comparison to so many other parts of the world. You know, when I read the stories of some of the Christians that are in certain countries of the world who are in prison for the name of Jesus, who here would stand tortured daily and not give up the name of Jesus? Think of it. Think of it. Some uh, communist soldiers come into your house, they grab you, they throw you into prison. How quick would you give up Jesus? If they stood at the door with a gun and said, mate, you're going to prison unless you just say, say give up Jesus, unless you say, I don't believe in you anymore, would, what would you do? Would you say, yeah, or, no, I'm not going to give up Jesus, I'm going to go to prison. How many of you would actually stand there and stand strong for knowing that you're going to leave you, maybe your families? In jeopardy, you won't end up at work the next day. You're going to be put in harsh conditions. You're going to be put on, you know, you're probably going to have your blankets stolen in the middle of winter. You have to lie in a freezing cold bed. How many of you, right here in this room, how many of you would be prepared to go through that? And if you stood there and the guns pointed at your head, get into the paddy wagon right now, how many of you would stand at that time? How many of you have even considered that before? And the reason I say this, because that's what Jesus Christ expects of you. And if you have any lesser Christianity than that, you haven't got the Christianity of the Bible. And don't go saying, I'm a Christian. If your heart hasn't already resolved that that's how far you're going to go for Jesus, don't call yourself a Christian. Seriously. Because Jesus doesn't consider you a Christian. And salvation has gone far from you. Jesus says, unless you love me more than all of these, you're not worthy of me. Unless you take up your cross and follow me, unless you give up your life, unless you lose your life for me, you will not find it. who among us are real, who among us are true Christians. Why do you think God's pressing me like this? Because I, I didn't expect to say any of this, to tell you the truth. I did not expect to say any of this. Why do you think God's pressing me like this? It's the time. It's the time of the end. And God's told me, prepare my people because they're all not ready. And everyone listening on YouTube, get ready. Because I don't think you're ready. <laughs> there is going to be a great apostasy. 
a great falling away from the faith before the Lord returns. It's going to come in response to the Antichrist being revealed on the earth. When the Antichrist is revealed, he's going to pour out a persecution greater than any persecution in history. It is going to sort out the true Christians from the false in moments. There's going to be a roundup. They're going to round up all the Christians on the earth. Anyone, any of them that don't get to safety before that. And they're going to throw them into prison. They're going to torture them daily and try to get them the recount of the name of Jesus. And it's going to cause what Jesus says and Paul says. Jesus says the love of most will grow cold and brother will betray brother to death. Paul says that the, uh, when the revealing of the Antichrist comes, there's going to be a great apostasy, a great falling away from the faith. Are we ready? Are we ready? I don't think we are. I don't think we are. I've got a feeling if I wasn't preaching like this, and if you don't want to hear this, like I'm not saying anyone here, but just say you don't want to hear this, just say, I hate coming to church because this is what I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear this guy raving on like this because, man, this doesn't sound like it should. makes me feel uncomfortable and I'm never going to come again. But if that's the case, you're going to be part of the great apostasy. Because me talking about it is nowhere near as bad as actually being held in it, is it? You know, when you go into an army, when you join an army and, they, and you, you know you're gonna, you've been drafted into the army and you're about to go to another country to fight. And when you go to fight, you know that there's a good chance you're going to die. Is that true? You've joined the army. They've given you your weapons. You've put on the garb, you're ready to go, they train you, you've got your six weeks or your eight weeks. This is true stuff. This is what happens in all the time. This, human history is filled with this, filled with war, filled with it. You get trained for six, eight weeks. If you're a proper, a, a good quality army country, you might have had lot, um, years of it. But like in Australia, no one is, except if you join. But usually in drafting, there's a six, eight-week period. You get trained up. And your sergeant is drilling you. He's screaming at you. He's telling you, if you don't learn this stuff, you're going to die. Now, do you think those soldiers are there going, oh, man, I can't stand this guy. He really makes me feel uncomfortable. I don't like what he's saying. I I wish I could just go home. I don't want to listen to this. I want to block my mind to it. But then the next thing he knows, they're on the front line. And he's going, no wonder my sergeant was like that. This is 10,000 10, times more intense than my sergeant was. I wish my sergeant screamed at me louder. I wish he smacked me around a bit and woke me up. Because when the reality of battle sets in and you're there in and amongst it, that distant memory of when your sergeant used to yell at you, seems so pleasant in comparison. So what I'm saying is when I'm here and I'm yelling out the gospel, or at least talking loud about the gospel, and I'm telling you, it's coming. As sure as war comes upon the earth, Jesus is coming, and as sure as war comes upon the earth, persecution will come to the church because the Bible says it, and I have more confidence in that than in anything else. Persecution is coming, and when that day comes, and you will have this distant memory of me talking about this, or hopefully more fresh if you'd stayed in the church, 
you know what I mean? You can go, okay, I know about this. Rob's made me aware of it. What do I do? I don't give up the faith because these light and momentary troubles that I'm going to face, this short time of persecution where I'm going to maybe get hurt for the faith, are going to be a heavenly reward for me and I'll be classed as an overcomer in the kingdom of God. And the glory in getting into heaven and Jesus looking at you and saying, well done. You, I saw what you went through. I saw the way you handled it. The grace with which came upon you by the Holy Spirit blew my mind. Everything was against you, but you stood the faith. You stood the test and you came through with flying colours. It's a beautiful thing to hear those sort of words from the Lord Jesus. Seriously. So this message is called Urgent Times. If I don't preach with an urgency, if I don't preach with this sort of level of intensity, because if I don't, it won't get in. You know, if I was just reading like this, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And everyone goes, hmm, that's nice. It's pleasant. <laughs> you know, for everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the loss of his eyes and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father but from the world. Did you know that? You know, that's not. Come on, man. Let's read those words. Do not. You know, when, when a child is in the kitchen and the parent says, do not touch that hot stove, and the little kid just comes up and... <laughs> There's a reason he says that. He gets burned. He gets burned. He gets hurt. He gets affected. It scars him. Do not love the world or it will burn you. It will scar you. It will leave you, you know, affected for the rest of your life. It could even keep you from entering into the kingdom of heaven and burn you for eternity. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, that tells me a lot. If, you, if I, you know, we could make a quick judgment of each other and, and a judgment not in a sense a condemning judgment. We could quickly make a judgment. That Christian loves the world. Well, the love of the Father isn't in him. How do I say that? It's because I can see he loves the world because he, he talks about his love of the world. Well, I can honestly say from Scripture he doesn't have the love of the Father. So be careful. So for everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the cravings, we, so many of us crave that, the, these things. And, you know, we, we, I, have, I know what it's like. I can actually lessen a sin. I can say, oh, this isn't that bad. Actually, I don't think this is a sin if I do this certain thing or whatever. We can talk it away in our minds, but deep in our subconscious, we know we've only talked it away. We know what sin is. You know, it's pretty clear. The lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father but from the world. How many people do you know boast of what they have and what they do? How many people have you had to sit through long hours of them boasting about themselves? Yeah? <laughs> I've been to coffee shops, sat down and like, oh, I wish I never started this conversation. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. The world and all its desires, everything in the world is passing, but the... But the man who does the will of God lives forever. Who's unsure of the will of God? Ask yourself that question. You don't have to stick your hand up. Who's unsure of the will of God? Well, the will of God is pretty clear in the Scriptures. But 
I don't want to go there because that will take me on another tangent right now. Um, but you've got to know what the will of God is for your life. But the man who does the will of God lives forever. Dear children, this is the last hour. I like how that came in there because it just fits into what we're talking about. Dear children, this is the last hour. Now, John said this in the first century. So if that was the last hour in the first century, what are we in now? Less than the last minute, probably the last few seconds. The time of the Lord's return is soon. And it says there will be times of troubles greater than any other in history. We're heading into the greatest time of trouble ever in history. Now, if I don't forewarn you of this, if you just think, oh, Rob's just exaggerating, that's what the Bible says. Just because Adelaide is the most safest and protected place on the earth at the moment doesn't mean we're going to be unaffected at this time because it says it will come upon all those who live on the face of the whole earth. You go into certain countries in the world right now, they're experiencing that level of trouble and persecution right now. But we get so comfortable in this in this part of the world in which we live, don't we? But the man who does the will of God lives forever. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, and even now many Antichrists have come. How many Antichrists have come already? Many. Actually, it tells us what an Antichrist is. Anyone who denies the Father and the Son is an Antichrist. You know, and when you go deep into that, what does denying the Father and Son mean? Is that anyone who denies that the Father, God, has a Son who is God? Of the same nature? So there you go. You've got, you've got a whole range of cults that are kicked straight out. They're called Antichrist. Jehovah Witnesses, according to that uh, doctrine that I just spoke of just then, are Antichrist, even though they profess his name. Mormons are Antichrist. Uh, and anyone else, Christadelphians are Antichrist. Muslims are Antichrist, clearly. And even now, many Antichrists come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. See, these are Christians. They went out. They went out and did the will, or sorry, did their own will. They didn't do the will of God, but they didn't really belong to God. They love the world more than they love the Father, you know. So when it comes to this sort of point, how many Christians don't belong to Jesus? Profess Christians. I've heard Christians say, you know, um, I, I don't believe in God. I'm an atheist, yet I'm Greek Orthodox to the end. But isn't Greek Orthodox a Christian faith? Isn't Greek Orthodox a true Greek Orthodox someone who believes in God and believes in Jesus? But I've heard them say I'm an atheist, but I'm a Greek Orthodox to the end. Well, yeah, to whatever end that is, it's the end of the world, and that's about as long as they'll live, because after that will be eternal death for them, if they keep thinking like that. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. They're going, they left, they abandoned the church, they stopped partaking of Christ, they stopped partaking of all of that. Okay, now I've got nowhere near the end of this sermon again. Ian Bounds said, God shapes the world by prayer. God shapes the world through prayer. 
The more praying there is in the world, the better the world will be and the mighty the forces against evil. The more praying in the world that there is, the mightier forces against evil and the better the world will become. That's, that's the power of prayer. And I think that to me is a, is a clear sign that there's not enough praying going on in the world. Because is the world becoming a more evil place? Clearly. Right? It's becoming clearly more evil, yet I don't believe the Christians are praying as they should. The state of the world is a reflection of the state of prayerlessness of the church, I believe. If the church prayed more, the, church, the world would be a better place. If Christians prayed more, the world would be a better place. The state of the church is a direct result of the watering down of the true message of the gospel. You water down the gospel, you get a, a different Christianity in mind than what true Christianity is, and you've taken all the power out of Christianity. How can I say this? When I listen to certain Christians speak, they call themselves Christians and they start speaking to me, I straight away can see that that person, sometimes I can say, wow, that person has a deep knowledge of the truth. Then another Christian will speak to me and I'll listen to their you know, exhortations on Christ and their knowledge. And I think that person doesn't believe in the same Bible and gospel that I believe in. You can tell they don't know the truth very clearly. It's a watered-down version. So my point to all of you is, is make sure you know the word. Make sure you know the word. It's, it's, it's a tough one. I believe that the problems we see in the world are due to the church focusing on the wrong initiatives. And this is just as for the church, especially Western churches. They, ch- they focus on church game nights instead of prayer nights. They're entertainment-focused instead of worship-focused. They're self-focused instead of God-focused. You know, a lot of churches you can go into and you'll hear the, the, the sort of thing you want to hear. You go into certain churches and they'll say exactly what you want to hear and you'll be sitting there going, yeah, this makes me feel good. I feel like a, a better me now. I'm going to go out there and I've got self-esteem. I'm pumped. My life is going to ref- just, just be amazing now. And it becomes me, 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 me. How good am I? How better am I going to be? And how much greater am I going to do everything that I go to do? See, see all the wording I'm using? I, me, I, 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 me, 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 self, self, iPod, iPad, iPhone, I, 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 Max. Do you know what I mean? I mean. <laughs> Ego. Ego is ego. I, ego. The church is ego-driven. Humans are ego-driven. You know why most people don't want to go to church, especially a church like this? It's because straight away it gets the attention off themselves and entertainment and, and filling up for themselves all these things that they enjoy because it's all about them. And suddenly the attention comes off them or in the sense that it's no longer, you know, we're really, really good. Now I have to turn my attention to God and praise and worship him. It feels so foreign. What? Praise and worship God? I'm just going to stand there and go like this. Oh, how great thou art. Great thou art. You know, 
and just move the lips. No heart for God because it's not, it's not set on self. But if it's a Beyonce song, they'll be singing at the top of the lungs and boogieing away, you know what I mean? <laughs> Probably better than that. But you know what I mean? So worshipping God seems strange to a lot of, even a lot of Christians. But you go, there, you go and see Beyonce concert and you've got no problems putting your hand up and, and, and worshipping a human, you know? So we, we've got to ask ourselves, why is this? We're ego-driven. We're ego-driven. It's all about self rather than all about God. Now, once we can change and we can get us, our attention off ourselves and we get our attention focused on God, do you know that is the first road to healing of so many, you know, depressions and, and self-focused problems, self-esteem problems, and all those problems come from obsessive focusing upon the self. If you look at yourself enough, you're going to hate yourself. Seriously, if all you do is look in the mirror, eventually you're going to squeeze every little thing that's on your face. You're going to see every wrinkle and you're going to hate how you look and you're going to cover the whole lot up with makeup if you're a woman. Focusing on the self is the, is the problem today. And that's why we find it hard to come to church because we've got to, we, we would, in church we're so focused and we would be looking at a, uh, we'll be looking at the watch thinking, when is this over so I can go and have my enjoyable day loving, doing the things of the world? I'm sick of this God stuff. I've heard enough. Does that make sense? You know? So if we can get our eyes off ourselves, and that's why we have to have a devotional time every day in the morning and hopefully in the evening. If you can devote yourself to God and, and give God, some of your valuable time, your ego time, and get yourself off you and give it to God, you're going to find yourself a much better self-adjusted person in this world. People won't find you always concerned with yourself. Everyone you meet, you just want to tell them all about you. You, you know, this is what I've been doing, and this is, and you've got a million things to tell them about you. And that person's also fighting to tell you a million things about themselves. And so there's this conflict. They're all trying to, me, 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 me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Give God your valuable time and give him the best of your time. And then he will bless you immensely and the rest of the things that you do will be so balanced and, and the things that you are going to achieve will be so balanced um, you're going to be feel like the most adjusted person on the face of the planet. Does that make sense? I hope I'm getting getting through because I feel like this this message has to be put out there, especially for the internet. There's a lot of Christians out there. There's a lot of Christians on the internet that um, aren't going to churches because they sort of want to hear messages like this, but there's nowhere that preaches them. So what have we got? This little church in Adelaide that hopefully provides for that need. Elsewhere in the world, some and the people that are going to watch it are going to be blessed because you've given them some hope. Hope, yeah, yeah. Look, there's there's ways out of you know that um, casual Christian attitude that that's really uh, plaguing the church is that that the Christians just can't you know find any enthusiasm to be Christian. I found even the um Believers say, "I'll be in another world war to wake people up and 
Well, it, it's funny. Um, I remember reading statistics economy, years ago yeah. about well, during World War Two, that the the um, uh, health diseases like heart attacks and strokes and, and all that sort of stuff diminished to near zero during that time during the war, because people were so concerned about you know their country and the war at hand, they forgot all about themselves. It was all about the cause. They were working, working, working all the time and no one had heart attacks anymore. No one was focusing on themselves. They were just concerned about strengthening their country and helping their country to win. And, um, but as soon as the war ceased and everyone resumed normality, the heart attacks came back and the strokes came back, all that sort of stuff. Well, they say that the best time that Britain, their diets were, was during the war when they had hardly any food. So yeah. They were like properly, you know... Fruit and veg, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. I'd say people haven't been as healthy since then. Yeah, yeah. There was no, no, uh, the cases of obesity would have gone yeah. right down. You wouldn't be able to go to Mackey's during the. No, day. no. The <laughs> story is the less you eat, the longer you live. No, that's true, it's that's true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you tend to live off your garden more than off, you know, bags of Doritos and things like that. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you, Lord. Um, Lord, I just pray that this message um, was well received today. Um, it was a hard message, probably the hardest one I've preached for quite some time. Uh, but, Lord, we need these messages, and I know you've been brewing these messages in me for quite some time. But, Lord, we still need to remember that we need to be awakened uh, and we need to keep ourselves alert to what is actually happening, keep ourselves mindful of this at all times. Um, and Lord, I just pray for your strengthening of every single Christian here and every single Christian that's live, uh, listening on the internet. Strengthen us and empower us and put that passion in us to be Christian and to live this Christian life and to give our time to you uh, and not to ignore you or, or disregard you through the week and then only remember you maybe here on a Sunday. Uh, but Lord, give us that passion to just live for you all the time. And Lord, also strengthen our resolve so that if these terrible days come in our lifetime, that we're going to be standing strong and prepared to uh, not give up the faith, but to go all the way with you. And uh, even in the face of death, that we will not, um, uh, what's the word? Um, even in the face of death, we won't turn from you, but we will look to you and trust in you in everything. So help our faith to really, really strengthen in this, Lord, especially in these times to come. So uh, bless this uh, rest of this day now and uh, pour out your spirit upon us and give us a wonderful week. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. for listening to this sermon. If you search Rob Cartledge in the iTunes store or go to www.robcartledge.com, you'll see a number of different sermon series uncovering religion, truth, judgment and eternity, apologetics 101, critical doctrine and end times. Feel free to check them out.